Hello and welcome to episode 158 of What Most People Think. Now you might possibly detect some sort of difference in the sound of my voice here and that's because as you know I was uh, off on holiday last week and uh, I came back uh, with, a, with a cold, with a virus, with a, well flu, I said flu, uh, nasty cold according to my wife and despite going to Ibiza and behaving the most I've ever behaved in Ibiza I still managed to come back through UK customs sneezing, sniffing, looking like I'd done a pound of gack basically. So you, you can't win. No one believes you when you're me. If you come back and you say, no, no, I've really got a cold. When you come back from Ibiza, no one believes you. And so I have done tests, uh, obviously, to see if it's COVID and it's not COVID. And what you get these days is you get this thing where people go, phew, at least it's not COVID. I'm like, I would rather have the fucking diet Omicron shit versus whatever this is, you know? It's, it's almost become like a Harry Enfield type character catchphrase to go, oh, at least it's not COVID. You know, you see sitting there fucking dying of Ebola, you know, getting legs sore. Oh, at least it's not COVID. Okay, let's just accept COVID. there are things that are equally as bad and a lot worse uh, than COVID. But um, I'm back in the hot seat here, so I'm getting... So apologies uh, if things do sound a bit different my end. But um, luckily, I've got back this week as someone who has been in the loop very much so for the last few weeks is uh, Trigonometry's own and his own... Uh, Francis Foster. I mean, you are Francis Foster, Foster outside of the context of being trigonometry's Francis Foster. It is true, mate. I do exist outside of trigonometry. You are right. A stand-up comedian in your own right. You've got a tour that you're embarking on in the not-too-distant future, which we will uh, um, get to. Mm. But uh, but you you come to us fresh from the the global exposure of having appeared on the uh, Joe Rogan... Is it the Joe Rogan experience? It is the Joe Rogan experience, yeah. So I was on Joe Rogan two weeks ago. Um, mm. We, uh, Trigonometry, we toured the US. We went to... Let me get this right. We went to New York, Washington, Austin. Um, after Austin, we went to Nashville. And after Nashville, we went to LA. We went on the Joe Rogan experience. We also interviewed Adam Carolla, Sam Harris, Bill Burr, amongst Bill the hosts... Amongst a whole host of other people. And so these are all things that are coming up. All these are all interviews yeah. that are to come out there. Bill Burr, I mean, just such a such a hero of mine. I mean, it's always always find it funny with the states is when the even just saying the names of the places. We don't like to admit it, but it's just fucking way cooler than anything we've got. Nashville. Yeah, of course it is, mate. Wherever you are in the states, you know, you've got, like they started it. They started podcasting. They created stand up comedy, especially the modern stand up that we know. Uh, it's just exciting to be there. We were at the Comedy Cellar. We saw a performance by Kevin Hart. You know, you yeah. go to Rogan's place where he does his where he does the show. That's exciting. Nobody ever gets that excited about doing a podcast in Swindon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. A, a little Zoom that you're doing where yeah. one of you's in a travel lodge. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it is, before we get, obviously, there was blowback um, from your appearance on Joe Rogan. But just just talk about the positives first. Like, how do we, were you nervous sitting down to it? Because obviously, it's a long chat, right? Yeah, so we did a chat which was four and a half hours long. Fucking hell. Yeah, and um, like, but I'll be honest with you, the day before we were going on, I was shitting it, mate. Yeah. I was absolutely bricking it because... There was a moment, right, where uh, I was talking with another podcaster called Chris Williamson. He's got a brilliant channel. I think 
uh, called Modern Wisdom. And he's, mm. a, he's a UK podcaster and he's moved out there. And we were talking. And then it, this little thought crept into my head. He went, you're going to do Joe Rogan tomorrow. It's going to go out to 11 million people. You best mm. not say anything stupid, Francis. And then I yeah. woke up in the morning and I thought, do I want to do this? Do I want to go out to 11 million people? Mm. And I had a little bit of a wobble, Jeff. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie. It, it, it was, there was a little bit of wobbling going on. It's, it's, you know, it's scary in a way. Yeah. I guess you got to just get that uh, all out of your, out of your head, you know, yeah. um, it, so so how did how did you correct the wobble or is it just something that you eased into the longer the interview went well you know uh you just you just go well this is happening you know you talk it out i had a chat with my producer and like my business partner anton and you know we went for a little walk we got a coffee walked it out and then and then you just accepted it's going to happen this is what you've been working hmm. for for a long time we started the podcast in april 2018 with no following no audience you know, no money, nothing. And then we got to, it took us around four and a bit years to get to Joe Rogan. And that was a culmination of four and a bit years of just hard work, graft, every, you know, put making sure a podcast goes out, an interview goes out once a week. And then we ramped it mm. up to two a week, four live streams a week. And just, just doing that basically. And and what what was what was he like? I mean, did you get much access to him before and after, or were you kind of ushered in and crack on? Right, no. So so you, we went in, we sat down. Joe came in. Um, Joe, here, here we go. Yeah, First we go. Name well, mate, here Joe. we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're best mates now. Uh, and uh, we we had a bit of a chat, and we went, we sat down, and then we started talking, and then he just went, "All right, we're rolling," and then we just started, and it just went from there. We talked for about two hours. Uh, talked about the. We opened with with the with the nonce stuff. You always got to open yeah. with the nonce banter, mate. Uh, we talked about. Um, he talked about the Catholic Church. Then we went in light. We went into the grooming gangs. Yeah. We, uh, nice we, easy. Yeah. Nice easy. Solid ground. Yeah. Yeah. Nice easy. You know, not going to offend anyone. We did about forty minutes on the grooming gangs. Bring them in gently, which is, you know, what grooming gangs often say. Yeah, exactly, mate. That is their modus operandi. Uh, I can't believe we made that joke. Um, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then we 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 segued into uh, like talking about comedy, comedy writing, because I I used to run a stand up course, and I used to talk uh, to, and I used to talk about how I teach writing, comedy, theories of comedy. And then, mate, we went into uh, the comedy industry. Right, so this is where the blowback. Now, genuinely, this all happened while I was away. I was yeah. sort of, I wasn't really on Twitter, but but I got kind of knockings at some. So, what, what, how have you upset the British comedy scene? What did you say? Right, what I did was, mate, Joe wrote. So we were talking. This is a four and a half hour interview in which we've covered everything from MMA, hmm. CTE. You know what CTE is? Chronic. Uh, I can't remember how to say the last word. Chronic traumatic and. It's basically what rugby players are now developing in American footballers. Where oh, could, head injuries. Yeah, with the head injuries, with brain decay. And we talked about that in MMA. We talked about who was the greatest like fighter. Um, we uh, we talked about we talked about a whole range of subjects. Joe mm. Rogan, when we we're talking about comedy, he said to me, "Why do all British comedians suck?" Which I found funny, and I went mm. laughed. I went, "Yeah, they do." And he, and then we went with certain exceptions. And then, and then we moved on. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. You, <laughs> you know, with certain exceptions, right? 
And then we moved on. Now, there is a comedian who doesn't really like us. And what she did was she clipped it and then put it out. Yeah. And then it went nuts. And the reason it went nuts is because um, people got very upset. They got very upset because I was on Joe Rogan. They all wanted to go on Joe Rogan. They weren't on Joe Rogan. And I went on Joe Rogan and I told them that the majority of British uh, stand-ups was shit. And I stand by that. They are. There are certain... I mean, mean, obviously, if you do say, you, you know, you will get a reaction. Yeah. I mean, I... I think I suppose there's two things. One, there's a natural reaction that you're going to get. Obviously, people are going to defend what they do. You've got natural enemies out there in the comedy world, anyway. Do I, Jeff? Who, it, <laughs> who, if if they're honest, were fucking delighted that you said that. You know, of what, it's one of those strange things in the social media world where they had to act like they were upset, but actually, evidently, they've poured over all the footage waiting for. Uh, a gotcha moment. I suppose what I would say, the truth is, is that it depends on what kind of comedy you you like, right? Mm -hmm. So it's fair to say that the style of comedy that I enjoy most is actually the American Mm -hmm. style of comedy. The kind of pure, what I would call authentic stand-up where, you know, no no gimmicks really, people talking about life in as blunt and as honest a way as possible. So therefore, you know, people like Bill Burr, uh, obviously, you know, He's a problematic figure, but I stand by Louis C.K. on his on his best form. Is just it's just very hard to beat that kind of stand up, you know. And that's why people in the UK that I enjoy often, I think, reflect you know some of the North American values. People like Catherine Ryan. I also think that Romish, you know, has a bit of that swagger in his comedy and and, and stuff. So so I, I'd sort of tend to agree that the stand ups that I prefer come from America, but. I suppose the problem is saying that the British British stand-ups are shit. Is that that's where you got in trouble, right? Oh look, I got in trouble. But number one, like it's just an opinion, and you can disagree yeah. with me. You know, when we talk about football, for instance, you could say to me, Mikel Antonio, who I think is you know one of the best West Ham players of the last few years, is shit. Good character act as yeah, well. Yeah, he is, mate. When the he's got a solid out, five. Yeah, Jake. The- uh, who's the guy? Zumo, that cat cat-kicking thing, that absolutely smashes it. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny. Every time he gets fouled and falls on the ground, the whole stadium sings, now you know how your cat feels. Well, I mean, how is it sort of appearing on the Joe Rogan experience? Have you seen like an uptick in numbers for all your content and your podcasts and stuff? So we've got around uh, listens on our audio platform because we were expecting a huge uptick in YouTube and there was a significant uptick in YouTube. But obviously, yeah. Joe is on. Uh, see, my mate Joe um, yeah. is on audio. Is on um, primarily, well, exclusively on Spotify. So what we noticed actually is that the um, the vast majority of the traffic was on Spotify. Mm. So listens were up seventy three percent. Wow, yeah. that's a lot. Yeah, so seventy three percent, and it's gradually, uh, you know, it's going up. Uh, we uh, we're in the top twenty podcasts now in the UK just for audio. That doesn't include the video aspect of it. Video we got we were up by about half a million, I think. People yeah. just coming and watching and then subscribing. We got about fifteen thousand new subscribers, maybe a bit more than that. And that's I mean that on. and that that's a lot. I mean, in terms of YouTube subscribers, are a hard one. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like uh, very much job done, uh, you know, in, in a sort of global sense, but you've uh, further... 
<laughs> further, further <laughs> driven a wedge between yourself and the UK. So, well, listen, mate, as, as long as, uh, I mean, I, I am, I think it's good to, to have you on this show if anyone's listening. It's just fucking opinions. I think you're allowed to think the UK stand up is shit. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't fully, I don't fully agree with you, but I do agree that the American style of comedy when done best probably is the best style there is, I have to say. I saw Theo Vaughn. Have you seen Theo? Have you heard of him? No. Right, so Theo, he's got a big following online. He sold out Hammersmith Apollo when he came here. He's like this. He's from, I think he's from Kentucky. He's uh, he's this kind of very southern storyteller. And I saw him get on stage, and we'll we'll talk about this, uh, at Rogan's night. Rogan does a night uh, every, I think it's every Tuesday at the Vulcan. And Mm. he got Theo to do 20 minutes before him. This guy just went up on stage. We interviewed him as well for the show. He sat down on a stool, put a mic, and did storytelling while sitting down for the most of his set and crushed it. I've never seen mm. anyone do that. I've seen plenty of people in the UK try and do that after they watched The Closer with Chappelle and went, oh, yeah, I'm going to be Dave Chappelle, and then go yeah. on at Top Secret and then die on their ass. I've seen people do that, mate, and possibly one of the easiest rooms in the country. I have never, apart from Matt Price, actually, Matt is the only person I've ever seen do that. Hmm. It just sit on a stool, mic in hand, and crush for 20 minutes. Incredible. Incredible. And also as well, Constantine got a lot of blowback for this. He he wrote a tweet about how we went to see Rogan's Night with, it was him, Theo Vaughn, Tony Hinchcliffe from the podcast Kill Tony, which I think is the number Hmm. one comedy podcast in the world. And Hans, and I forget Hans's second name, super nice guy. And their stuff was really on the edge, man. Like, even for me, I was like, whoa, some of this stuff mm. is a bit too much. It's stuff that you could never do in the UK. It's stuff that would send a lot of people into meltdown, people calling for you to be whatever, X, Y, and Z. And Constantin wrote a tweet about this, and then they all had another meltdown over that. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think I saw this. Where it's sort of saying you couldn't say things, which yeah. brings up the idea. I mean, what 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 the, the argument currently is, and we'll, we'll get to this later actually, because there was a broader debate recently, and we had another round of kind of right wing comedy yeah. and you know political comedy at the fringe and all that. Yeah. You know, we come we come back against this idea of whether or not there are things you can or can't say and stuff like that. So we will actually we, we might come back to that. But for now, I think that we uh, we should men- welcome a new board member. Do you know I've got this new thing, the board members? No, tell me about your board members, Chef. Uh, board members. So these are people that voluntarily pay 20 quid or above and mm. they are in a secret, but it's not even officially acknowledged on the Patreon page. Are they like the uh, Illuminati of the podcast? They're the yeah. Illuminati. They're, they're board members. Some of them are silent members and I come to them on certain issues. And uh, it's completely, completely voluntary. And Paul Millam has joined the board. Welcome to the board. And um, they get uh, emergency questions to the board, which we'll be answering a few when we get to the politics section, which we will do a good catch up on later. Uh, As far as uh, normal patrons go, we've got uh, the following people to welcome. Nick Whitehead. Uh, Nick Whitehead. I mean, that's a surname you've you've already had to live with your whole life, Nick. I mean, I... It's not so much of a word anymore. Do people get acne as much as they used to? It doesn't feel like they do. Is We're getting old, Jeff. No, but I mean, if diet's improved or something, because we're all eating fucking like turkey arsehole and stuff like that without knowing. And... But, you know, well, well yeah, our, our equivalent of vegetables were bacon frazzles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So we, we were, they, do you remember at school where people's faces were just covered in pimples? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I had it. I had it for a while to the point where my mum got this, uh, got it seen to by a doctor, mm. and they prescribed this thing called toppy cycling, which was essentially like almost pure alcohol that you rub on your face. And so I went to school stinking of like vodka. I was 13 year old, looked like I had a massive drinking problem. I bet people thought you were a legend. Been out yeah. all night on the piss. Yeah, I did drink it as well, you know. <laughs> but, um, Sam Mason, who just sounds like one of those cute little male solo artists, uh, yeah. you know, where, where once upon a time people would have been in a band, they're just yeah. one bloke now. Yeah, with a guitar. <laughs> one guy selling out Wembley, 90,000 people, fuck them. Uh, Mez, we've got Mez, this is Mez. I don't know if Mez is male or female. Mm. Uh, but, but or non binary, sh- Jeff. Mez, that does sound a bit like a, a sort of non-binary pronoun, doesn't it? Mez. Yeah. yeah. Mezta. Yeah, Mez, <laughs> Zez. Mesta or Mezes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe it's like Turkish non-binary. It could be. Definitely. Uh, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Martin Biggs, who I just... Just sounds Northern Irish. Martin I don't Biggs. Know. Martin Biggs. I think he sounds like a gangster, Martin Biggs. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. One of the ones that, that got... Was in the pub. What was the pub when Jack the Hat McVitie got oh, shot? The, it's it's near the, where I used to live. The blind beggar. Yeah, no, yeah, the blind beggar pub. It's near it's near where I used to live in Bethnal Green. What a great name for a gangster pub that is. Yeah, it is. Do you think mate. they changed it once they realised that it would be part of history? Because before that, it was just called like the Slug and Lettuce. <laughs> do you know? <laughs> no. Do you know they've still got the bullet holes in the wall? I mean, it's it's weird, isn't it? How how much time has to pass before? something we're able to kind of uh, acknowledge it in that way yeah i I don't if you look at some of like the gangland shootings in east london at the moment is is that cool to sort of say this is where the the, late there was a postcode shooting in the late noughties here no but it's never as romantic when someone gets shanked in a jd sports tracksuit no no we want to know that the people were wearing savile row suits and then violence is so that's fine yeah you know, the, the sadness that the families felt is different because it looked aesthetically pleasing. Also, let's be fair, the craze had a great soundtrack. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was the Rolling Stones. It was all of this. It was the Beatles, the Kinks, six swinging 60s. Well, these lads got drill music. Shit. You can't. Shit to us, Francis. You can't be knocking yet another British fucking genre here. Um, what is your problem? Um, Why are you talking Britain down? eh? <laughs> I'm going to go full Liz Truss on you here. Stop talking Britain down. We've got great comedians, drill music. Well, I, like, I like a bit of grime. Dr- drill music is admittedly a bit beyond me. but uh, we, And finally, we've got Andrew Foster here, who just sounds like a guy that won like the, the 1500 metres in the 80s. He does. So still, still gets your bit of pundit work. We, uh, we, the main talking point, um, so David Domain, our super patron, picks up on things. We were talking about, uh, I think in the episode that I put out while I was away, which is about, you know, how people sort of compare the British Empire to some of the worst kind of global uh, power structures. And, you know, there are obviously these egregious things that happened under the British Empire. But there's also still the legacy of the Commonwealth, which kind of suggests that it's perhaps slightly different, that there's this ongoing voluntary continuation of that relationship. And, and David further clarifies this, and he says that although the empire, uh, hang on a sec, uh, was its basis, four of the latest Commonwealth territories had no ties to the British Empire. I didn't know this. Don't know if you knew this. Uh, Rwanda, uh, Mozambique, Gabon, and Togo. Also Burundi, which is a prospective member. Uh, former British territories that did not join the Commonwealth, Burma, 
now Myanmar, Aden, now part of Yemen, and the Republic of Ireland. So, yeah, it's just it's just weird that there's a sports day for this thing that was supposedly like a, a, an unequivocal global evil. Yeah, I think one of the things that um, I'm not a, a historian by any stretch of the imagination, but one thing that I find very funny is when I see like comedians who are, there's an example of a French comedian, apparently they're very good, who's, who's taking the piss out of the British Empire. It's like, mate, can you, yeah, the French had a fucking empire, my friend. Yeah. And I'm sorry to break it to you, you all weren't great either. Everyone had a go. There was a period, it does seem, every single European country had a go at being the bad guys. Oh, yeah, even Belgium. Belgium had an empire. Fucking Belgians. The Belgians had an empire. That's how easy (laughs) it was back then. It was like the early days of the internet, mate, when you got a podcast, six million listeners. It was easy back then. Not now. Now you've got to work for it, mate. Fucking tell me about it. Yeah. I mean, Belgium, Belgium having an empire. You know, like, when one of those things that's expensive... Then suddenly, like, you know, like at the point where someone like me has a pizza oven in the garden, you think, yeah. all right, they've come down in price. Yeah. Um, Belgium having an empire must have been the point where all the other empires were going, fuck, anyone feel like the gloss has gone off this a little bit? Absolutely. And can you imagine, no wonder Germany started a world war when even Belgium had an empire. And as they said, yeah. and as they said in Blackadder, all Germany had was a sausage factory in Tanganyika. <laughs> no wonder all they right, kicked off. No wonder they kicked off. I mean, like, you know, there, there were other reasons, which are less understandable. But, yeah. yeah, but I think Belgium having an empire was probably the thing that really, really poked the beast. Yeah. Um, let's, let's do a quick thank you and a fuck you. Have you got some, something you're grateful for first, Francis? A lot of comics struggle to be grateful for anything, but... Oh, you know what I'm grateful for? The ability to create your audience, to come on, to meet people, to just mm. to do what we do over the internet. Because you and I will remember the pre-internet days um, of, uh, you know, of, of stand-up, where you just went from gig to gig to gig. Yeah. And, you, you you know, you were beholden to gatekeepers and you were desperately trying to please them in an effort to mm. get on one of these panel shows, be one of the eight people, in order so you could become a big comedian. And we don't have to do that anymore. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, no, exciting times. And as I say, we'll come on to that in the sort of discussion of the comedy industry later. A uh, fuck you. What's uh, the fuck you? British comedians. Thank you. There you go. They're all shit. They're all shit. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let, no, I think we should leave it there. Let's get let, 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 double down. Okay. Let's uh, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about what's been going on politically while I've been away. So, a bit of a catch-up on the leadership race. It does seem to me like it's sort of fallen into a little bit of a holding pattern. I mean, we've mentioned athletics a few times. It does seem a little bit... You know, like those races where they're they're sort of keeping pace with each other. Mm. Although, trust does seem to be ahead. First up, just get, get your thoughts on, on the candidates here, Trust and Sunak. I mean, how are you feeling? Are you inspired by either? Do you know, here's the thing. When the, the race started, I went, this is entirely pointless... Sunak is going to cream everybody. He's had mm. experience in one of the biggest jobs during a time of crisis in our nation, a global health crisis. He's one of the few people you can argue who actually acquitted themselves fairly well and came out of this horrendous situation with his reputation yeah. fairly intact 
Nobody else did. Certainly nobody else in that cabinet. And I thought he was an absolute shoo-in. I then went away to America. By the way, I did Joe Rogan, Jeff. I don't know if we've talked about that. Come back. Yeah, yeah, you should mention that. I, I think I definitely should, mate. Put it on the poster yeah. as well. I came back and Liz Truss is storming, is storming it. I mean, what happened? <laughs> what the hell happened? I don't think most people even know who Liz Truss actually is or what mm. she's done. How did Sunak manage to fuck it up so badly? Well, it's interesting. What You know what I might do is I might go to a letter, well, a, a, an urgent board member mm. point. I was going to come to this later because I have sort of expressed some confusion about her popularity among the membership ranks. And there's a guy called David who kind of broke it down. This is quite a long message, but I'll try and pray see it. And he says, basically, um, he wants to explain why some of us ERG types support Liz. Um so he left the party in 2021 because he couldn't, in all conscience, continue to defend Boris. Uh, he was a reluctant supporter of Brexit mm. uh, and so on. So he's just given us an idea of his political character. Sounds like he a feels he does sound a fucking racist. Yeah. Uh, I think for for him, Rishi Sunak represents the failed old order, like a very sort of Cameroonian continuity candidate, right? Mm. Um, he appeared to go native at the Treasury. Uh, I'm, he's a C, this guy's a senior finance manager in a large uh, PLC, and he says that. So I see the degree to which he's hiked taxes, uh, both visibly and stealthily. And the current economic crisis has been created by global economic consensus going back to the two thousands. Um, so he sort of thinks that he's part of that problem. Liz Truss, on the other hand, he says she's got a solid record, longest serving member of the cabinet, having been appointed in July twenty fourteen held offices of Foreign Secretary, Secretary of State for International Trade, Chief Secretary to the Treasury, Lord Chancellor, and Secretary of State for Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs. Don't mention port markets, right? Uh, she's got a proven track record of saying what she's going to do and doing what she said she was going to do. Um, so I think that kind of gives us a flavour, is that they feel like she's a doer mm -hmm. and that she is potentially a change candidate. And, and I think that, that this, this long process of gently kind of ratcheting up taxes and delivering meagre growth is something that would probably continue under Rishi. So that's the argument. You don't have to fully agree with it, mm. but it does sort of give a, a bit more kind of uh, heft to the idea of why she's got such support. Because I, I just thought Rishi's, a, I thought like you, he's a slick character. It certainly, you know, it could win back maybe some of the more right-wing Lib Dem types mm. or certainly catch the eye of some Labour waverers. But but yeah, does does any of that make any sense to you? That she's she's sort of seen to be like a, a more radical candidate in a way, I guess. Well, if you're going to go for radical candidates, then wouldn't you go for Kemi? Kemi Badenoch. She was the yeah. most radical out of all of them. If you really wanted that type of character who is going to be a no-nonsense, dare I say, almost Thatcher-esque figure, then Kemi mm. would be it, wouldn't it? Yeah, I suppose the, the issue with Kemi is just the, the, the lack of experience in senior position was yeah. so profound, right? Like, I think that if you're following politics closely, a lot of conservatives, including me on some levels, are getting excited about things that she said. But then you just throw that to the wider country mm. and go, you know, this person that none of you have fucking heard of. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally none of you. Prime Minister. Prime Minister now. But then, Kemi then had most people heard of Cameron before. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think he, yeah, he'd done some time in, you know, he'd done time within the the party. Uh, he was certainly seen as at least the second most favourable candidate. She would have been, yeah, she would have been like, I, I wonder, 
she would have been as much of a curveball in a different way as Corbyn. I think she's a very different person. I think she's a far more organised thinker. Mm. But to the outside looking in, they would have gone, oh, the Conservative Party, all right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I do see what you mean there. I'll be, like, I was really surprised that Rishi hasn't won and isn't going to win. I think, to me, he was the most electable. He's the most, yeah. you know, he's the most electable. He's the most visible. He is the one who's got the most profile. But the polls don't say that. The polls have him losing to both um, Starmer and Truss. Yeah. So what do I know? So, I mean, we just, we, there's something we're missing. I mean, it's what most people think. There is something about him. Is it like, you know how one of the problems with Hillary is that she was a continuity person from yeah. something that people had started to go off? Mm. Whereas, is there, a, a, in a minor way, there's a problem with Rishi like that in relationship to the previous conservative administration although but but then fucking this this trust has been part of it for even longer it doesn't it doesn't make sense i mean look i i think that i think it would be a very strange pmq's trust versus starmer i could i can visualize sunak versus starmer i actually think sunak would have the wood on starmer Mm. the pmq's he's quite sharp on his feet so i yeah i I, you know what i said what i see growing a lot is a genuine a plague on both their houses. And it's not just a populist mm. kind of like, well, they're all as bad as each other. I see so many Labour supporters that are, are kind of disillusioned at the lack of kind of position that Starmer's taken on anything. At the moment, the, the real left-wing t- positions being taken are by Mick Lynch, mm. by fucking Marcus Rashford, Gordon Brown. It's almost like Starmer's cuckolded in his own yeah. party. <laughs> He's watching other blokes just banging the shit out yeah. of the media. Like, and this is how you do it, sunshine. You put your shoulder into it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, look, the problem is with the Labour Party, and many people have made it. They've made it on our show. I'm sure they've made it on your show. And we've discussed it many times. The Labour Party isn't fit for purpose. It's trying to hold a group of people under one broad coalition mm. that just don't belong together. They just don't. Mm. You know, left of centre liberals don't belong with left-wing radicals. Mm. They're just completely different. They just are. It's funny that um, one of Liz Truss's slogans at the moment is Stop Starmer, which I, I think is such a fight because Stop Corbyn made sense because there was a whole bunch of stuff that went with Corbyn that was alarming to a lot of people. Where Starmer doesn't appear to stand for anything. It's almost like it's almost like being opposed to the taste of water, isn't it, yeah. Dan? Who, who's like, trying to do a Marmite on water? You go, well, no, no one has any strong feelings about that. But it's also like, and I think this is part of the problem with Rishi, mm. is that you look at Rishi, you look at Starmer, they're all very new Labour, aren't they? Yes. That's yeah. the problem, in that people see it, and you touched on it with your point, and they just see the same sort of, you know, centrist, bland politicians, and they're looking and desiring for something more authentic which is why Corbyn was so popular and he nearly won the 2017 general election. Well, I mean, he lost by 60 seats, but in the context of the left, that is nearly winning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah, good good point. But in the context of the left, that is nearly winning. And he did a lot better than than a lot of them. And then Hmm. you had Boris, who was none of those things and romped with a ridiculous majority. So I think people are looking at Sunak, they're looking at Starmer, and they're seeing these career bland politicians who don't really have mm. any personality. And then they think maybe they think Liz Truss has got a bit of that. You know, you know, like when they show her doing that weird talk she gave when she mentioned pork markets, like yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know. Does does that play out that badly for her? People, maybe people just want. I mean, she does look fucking deranged in it. <laughs> but I've got to be careful because I keep using words like deranged and demented mm-hmm. with Liz Truss, and I wonder is that a bit sexist? Do you know what I mean? Like, I suppose, I suppose you're more likely to call male politicians boring, though, aren't you? That's yeah. That it, there are stereotypes that play out separately for both, and humorless. So like male yeah. politicians will get more stick if they haven't got any bants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is true. Look, there's some things that you'll say like bland, anodyne. And here's the thing as well. When it comes with male politicians, they do get savaged. They, for their looks as well. Yeah, for yeah. their looks. In a way that I don't think, weirdly, female politicians do as much. But when you go online, then it's all a bit different. It is all a bit different. I mean, what, what Rishi has started doing as he sort of realises that he's going down is a bit of a kamikaze thing that he's turning in on his own principles. He's throwing out these Hail Mary passes. Mm. He's, he's saying that no one's going to do Mickey Mouse degrees. He's just trying to sound like as conservative as possible. Yeah, we, we won't let him touch our women. And <laughs> I, I think that he, he should go full on with this because what I think Starmer proved is that lies told to win a leadership election, the press don't really give a shit. Yeah. He told loads of lies to win that leadership. No one really gives a shit. So I think that, that Liz and Rishi should just go all out, just start saying mad Tory shit like 40, national service for 14-year-olds. Yeah, do you think should... like if you if you get caught on a on a train playing music out of your phone, you get conscripted into the army straight away. Do you reckon he should just come out and just say one World Cup and two World Wars? He sh- he should say he should absolutely <laughs> say that. He should say custodial sentences for people that take the wrong wheelie bin yep. and wait all the way up until next wheelie bin to change it back over. And then at the end, he'll scream the words, "Bring back the death penalty for paedophiles." Standing on. Yeah. Not, yeah, he'll just go, nonsense, disgust me. Yeah. You know what really disgusts me? Nonsense. Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> the, we can get behind that. The majority of people will be like, that's fair. We just got uh, just going to deal with a couple of questions um, from urgent board members here. This is from Phil Morgan. It says, the government says it won't take any action on the cost of living crisis until a new PM is installed. The CBI says that makes no sense and action is needed now. Are Rish and Liz's views so diverse that we're in stalemate until one of them is in power? I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? You can sort of understand the political desire to not make a big announcement mm. before they get in because I guess... They're definitely going to give away money one way or the other, and that will be part of what creates the honeymoon bounce, right? But the way the press operates now, it does feel a bit like kind of, in a way, people screeching for lockdowns. It's like, make announcements now. But I sort of, this is an unpopular view, I sort of get them waiting a bit because we just don't know. A lot of the cap, I mean, just just talking about these price cap things, I do think there's a massive irresponsibility in the press, the way that they're talking about them, because they're now speculating as to what they can be well into next year. And and when they said that, they said there's one in January, that it could be four and a half grand. But several experienced broadcasters portrayed this as that's what everyone will be paying, rather than that's the maximum that everyone will pay. That's That's really irresponsible, isn't it? It is. Because most people won't pay anything like that. And... And, you know, they're creating further anxiety, which is so unlike the press. I know, I know. It's it's almost like they have an agenda in order to get clicks and... Well, it's just get clicks now, isn't it? Uh, to create hysteria amongst people. I think the real problem is, is that there's a lot of people in this country, and you'll know this, Jeff, who, who work really hard five days a week, and with their pay packets, they just about make it to the end of the month. You know what? If you've paid all your mm. bills, you put food on the table... And you, 
you, you know, that's a win. And the problem is with all these, t- you know, price price hikes, etc. There's going to be a, quite a number of people in this country who work five days a week and they can't afford to live. And when people mm. are working and their 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 salary isn't meeting their costs, that's when things start getting dangerous. And yeah, I, I think that that's. I mean, that's what's interesting at this point politically is because. Uh, you know they're going to give away money. Like there's no way that the government can get get through this without significant further support. Whether that is uh, postponing the price cap rise and sucking up the cost of it, which will be I think 36 billion pounds, mm-hmm. which is massive, or whether it's in again putting more money in people's accounts as they they already have done. And this kind of relates to a letter from Paul Millam, who's saying, who basically his point is, he's a new board member. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sees aware that but people like me and Ian Dale said that we haven't been able to vote Conservative recently. What would need to happen for you to go back to vote in blue? Uh, is it the installation of a competent leader enough or would it be strictly based on policies? One of the problems is, is if you have core sort of Conservative views like mine was like kind of uh, low tax, small state, kind mm. of like low intervention. This period in time doesn't really lend itself to that. You have to just be honest and say like you, whatever kind of economics you're going to engage in will be by historical standards fairly left-wing at the moment well this you know? so I'm, I'm not disillusioned i just i just i'm very confused by the current sort of situation it's so radically different to anything we've ever known of course but then what happened that's what happens when you have a lockdown you pay people not to work you know you put mm. all this cash into you know into people's you know you print loads mm. of cash you're going to get record levels of inflation and that's what we're seeing and then as well with the war in Ukraine and everything else, it's it's a really tough time for ordinary people. And ordinary people are feeling very frustrated. They're feeling very angry. And then that's why you get people like Mick Lynch coming to prominence, you know, these hmm. classic old school left wing figures, because people are identifying with that. They're saying they're seeing that wages are stagnating. Inflation is rising. Things are becoming hmm. more and more affordable. And they feel it's not fair and they've got a point. Hence why Mick Lynch is now everywhere. I mean, that's what's interesting is there was this Enough is Enough campaign yeah. this week that got quite a lot of traction and it's got these kind of key demands. And one of the things I think is, is quite entertaining is how suddenly sort of intelligent working class white guys are back in fashion. Yeah. You know, the, the middle class journos are like, I mean, I, I don't know about you, I just love that Mick Lynch guy. Mm-hmm. Isn't it just lovely to see someone that looks like he probably... You know, ran with a firm in the eighties. <laughs> you know, smashed up some train stations on on the football specials. And you know, he actually has some ideas that don't sound shit. It's so fucking patronising. It must be weird for Mick Lynch, who's suddenly getting courted by all these people. He's essentially dealing with fairly standard trade union policies mm. going back generations. Eddie Dempsey is another example. Yeah. You know, and they all they all look like sort of Guy Ritchie extras. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 they, these are exactly the sort of people that, that the kind of a certain branch of the sort of metropolitan types turned against straight after the Brexit vote. Because you know when they that, all voted Brexit. I don't know about Mick Lynch. I know Eddie Dempsey very much did. Yeah. I think if anyone's interested, a lot of my a lot of people often wonder about the left wing arguments for mm. Brexit. If you search Eddie Dempsey Labour Leave and see the interview he gives there, I mean it's it's pretty it's pretty. Uh, definitive his argument it's pretty convincing um and and yeah but one one of the things about a persuasive media personality like mick lynch is in these list of demands that enough is enough has it says decent housing for all 
I mean, that is a very populist yeah. message, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, How do you do that? What's it cost? Well, this is a problem in that we, ever since Thatcher came to power, where she sold off all the council housing stock, and it's not just Thatcher's fault. It's the, what do you mean fault? It's a fucking great policy. <laughs> but they didn't replenish it, Jeff, did they? Well, that is the, that was the mistake. Yeah, 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 that was the mistake. They didn't replenish it. Neither did the Labour government. Neither did the Cameron government. So we have got this housing crisis where people are asked to pay astronomical amounts for very mm. basic property. And you look at how much it costs ordinary, you know, just it costs to get on the housing ladder. It's ridiculous. It's unaffordable for most people who most people earning a decent wage. So I have a lot of sympathy for them. This is a problem, Jeff, is that successive governments have been unwilling to tackle this problem. And it's now mushroomed out of all proportions. And nobody knows how to deal with it anymore. And nobody wants to deal with it. Fucking hell. Yes, yeah, pretty depressing, isn't it? It is. Not for you, mate. You've you got what... a fucking house. Yeah. You've how seen... much longer, though? No, but you've seen your housing... You'll see your house prices rising, haven't you? Yeah, mate, you've just been telling me about our oh, YouTube revenues have gone up, this and all that. You're fucking, you're fucking sorted. Don't, don't point the finger at me sitting out here. <laughs> I've had you. You actually got a gaff in London, mate. I'm out in fucking rural Cambridgeshire. I'm renting, mate. Oh right, so now we're into that working class thing of yeah. us trying to do ourselves down. Exactly. Whereas if whereas if a middle class person mocked our level of wealth, we'd be going, well, "Fucking, I would just been on holiday, mate. I went to Schwire, did the VIP." Exactly. So. We'd get Eddie Dempsey round to knock him out. Okay, let's just do a quick hype before that. Uh, we've got to welcome some more patrons. We've got Ben Nurkham. That's a weird surname, Ben, if you don't mind me saying. Uh, I, I don't know if you're with the love of your life yet, but God, I hope she loves you because becoming Mrs. Nurkham, you do sound like a character out of Peppa Pig. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, ooh, Mrs. Nurkham. Mrs. <laughs> Nurkham was cooking up some of her special cakes. Um, <laughs> the Nurkhams, the tiny little family who live under the floor. Uh, Mark Roberts. Solid name, that Mark Roberts. Yeah. Good, good, very vicious slide tackle on him. Yeah, he does Mark sound Roberts. like a 90s footballer, doesn't he? Got, you got sent off in the FA Cup semi-final famously after six seconds. Yeah, just studded somebody in the thighs. S- stuck one on Vinnie Jones. Yeah. Um, got Andrew Palmer. I think Andrew Palmer. So we just had the monthly Patreon run. So obviously some people get kicked out and some of you do kindly return. So thank you for that. Andrew Palmer, I'm pretty sure, is a returner. Stefan Bregg, Stefan Bregg, Stefan Bregg, it, it, we, uh, it sounds, sounds Nordics, yeah. Stefan Bregg, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm seeing, I mean maybe it's my own sort of homoerotic tendencies but I'm seeing a very well built man right mm. now. Do you know my missus watches that Viking show? Yeah. Yeah, and she, I'm not, she, she, she says she does it because she enjoys history, it's not, it's because she gets to watch all these strapping blokes run about with like basically a, a leather sort of Thong on. It is funny, isn't it? When you go, when you look at like what what modern femininity says that it demands from men in terms of sensitivity and understanding, and then you look at the kind of erotic imagery yeah. that still works. So you go to a Magic Mike show. There's there's no part of Magic Mike that is a bloke writing a fucking poem, <laughs> just sitting down writing a poem. It is all rescuing, fucking building, Fire carrying man. shit. <laughs> Yeah, nobody's looking They're for a They're so cliche. They say that we're cliche. Yeah. How fucking cliche are they? Yeah. Nobody's looking <laughs> for a male feminist when the flames start licking up the building, are they? 
Can you can you imagine if, if there was like an equivalent of Magic Mike and and all of the dance routines were just like fucking nurse, sexy secretary, libra- sexy librarian. Yeah. I mean, just put the word sexy in front of jobs that you wouldn't expect. Sexy teacher, sexy IT repairman. <laughs> can you imagine that? No, se- Bending her over after he's come round to fix the broadband doesn't work. <laughs> Uh, we got Charles Jarves. Mm. I don't know if Charles Jarves... Charles Jarves. I mean, he's Char- Yeah, I mean, Charles Jarves. He's got It just sounds thing. like you've given me your first name and your nickname. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm Charles, but my friends call me Jarves. Yeah. Why do they call you Jarves? Uh, it's because every man in my family for 18 generations has had the middle name Jarvis. So, but my, my, name's, my first name is actually Jarvis, so they call <laughs> me Jarves. You go, God, I'm really glad I'm not a middle-class bloke because your fucking nickname game is weird. It's but welcome shit. to the show, Charles. Charles Charles, it is shit. Um, now, while we're hyping, uh, I will be starting my Edinburgh run. Mm-hmm. So this will hopefully be going up Thursday morning. Uh, so it starts on the 12th to the 28th of August. Three dates are already sold out. A lot are getting close. But you, my friend, you're going out on tour. I'm going out on my first tour. Uh, yeah. It's called, rather appropriately, Online Provocateur. And it's... Uh, nice. Yep. It's... Uh, Get tickets. I'm only doing 12 dates. I've got to prove to my agent that I can actually sell the bloody things. So come along. Yeah. It's basically my book. It's all it is is 50 minutes of stand up. It's my best. It's about 12 years worth of jokes in a 50 minutes. It's just bangers start yeah. to finish and then we go home. There's going to be all no message. No There's going to be no, oh, I met a cat in India and it changed my life. There's going to be no talk about any of this shit. Just jokes, mate. Yeah, I like the fact you're banging the desk as you're saying this. This is like pure pure Boris Johnson to get the message across. I mean, yeah, this is this is the thing is like obviously like when you had your running with the British comedy industry, obviously yeah. one of the things that people try to do is they go like, well, you know, just from a guy that's, you know, can't even do stand, you go like you can. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, people anyone that's seen you on support with me, you're a very strong stand-up. So, you know, and and this is one of the great things about first tour situation mm. is that it's a great time to see somebody because as you say, you've got all this back catalog. You're really going out there to build an audience, so it's going to be your best stuff. I mean, I mean, hopefully the t- you're not doing the topical stuff from 12 years ago. I mean, that would be kind of like Look, mate. You going these these fucking bankers, eh? Yeah, let's get the out bank- of the Brexit gear. Yeah, yeah. The bank. Oh, do you remember that period where everyone was just slagging off the bankers? Oh, yeah. Deservedly so. That was one. But, but I also, that was one of the first times when I started to think my politics were different from most of the UK yeah. circuit. Because I was going, what about the people that took out stupid fucking mortgages, eh? What about those pricks? Speaking of, speaking of run-ins, there's been uh, uh, the latest round of discussion about right-wing comedy uh in, and political comedy generally in the last week. So the news broke that Mock the Week is being cancelled and Dara O'Brien uh, had an interview uh, in The Guardian. Now, first up, I'm just going to go cards on the table here. I've got no issue with Dara at all. When, when I was on Mock the Week, he was actually very supportive of the idea of me coming on. Mm. Uh, like when he introduced me to the audience, he did everything he could for me to have a good record. Uh, and and he, he was great. He shared my stuff in the past. And, you know, like, like if he'd have really wanted to kibosh the idea, there was things that he could have done. Um, so, you know, I, uh, there's no issue on that level. I just think he said some things about what's called right-wing comedy that are worth picking up on. So, first of all, this thing, I guess it's just a term. You're not right-wing, no. but you are classed under this thing. Yeah. Constantine, 
I think Constantine is becoming more conservative, <laughs> but he is, uh, you know, Andrew Dawes, not right wing, but whatever. This is this is what it's called. If you if you if you go against woke or stuff like that, it's called right wing. So let's just accept that that's the term for this thing. And and what he made was the point. You know, he was asked, as he always is. In fairness, he always gets asked about this. Is about <clears throat> you know the absence of right wing comedy and all this stuff. And he said that you know, like, well, you've got to go out and create a market, right? Mm. You know, and, and he sort of semi-ironically made the point about, you know, conservatives should like the idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And I get, you know, why that would have humorous appeal within mm. a certain area. My main issue with that was I sort of thought, that's exactly what everybody's been doing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Creating a market, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look, you know, like, I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have, like, mainstream TV appearances, you know, mm. but I've got the podcast. You guys have smashed it with trigonometry, Doyley's had a book out. Simon Evans is touring, doing stuff on GB News. Leo does stuff on GB News. He's got his YouTube channel. All we're doing is creating more. Like that's exactly what we're doing. And I find I find it odd because it because occasionally you get a journalist will moan about the absence of right wing comedy. It then gets pinned on us, like we're moaning about yeah. it. But and we're not we're not stupid because we know if we moan, we'll get absolutely slaughtered as being whining little bitches. So <laughs> we generally. I, I don't think that, I mean, don't don't you think that one of the characteristics of whatever this movement of comedy is, is that it's been very proactive, right? But it's also as well, look, I think it was in 2018, Nika Burns said she was looking forward to the next generation of woke comedians deciding what is and what isn't acceptable on stage, you know? Yeah. And you, you know, and for those of you, uh, for those of listeners not aware, Nika Burns is basically one of the main people behind the Edinburgh Comedy Awards the tastemaker yeah. in the industry. She is the one who decides if somebody then goes on and becomes a success in comedy, they, they get TV and radio and all the rest of it. So the people at the top are woke. The people at the very top, hmm. the people making the decisions, the gatekeepers. I mean, I would say, I would say, so this, this idea is that, that, you know, you just create a market, you get funny and then you get your opportunities like everyone doesn't else. doesn't work. No, I mean, look, I, I've been in and around topical shows. I've written on them. I've been lucky enough to appear on a few. And and, and you, you can't tell. If you look, right, let's look at it another way. If you look at the, 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 the talent that have been given opportunity on those mm. shows, right? A lot of them, some of them inexperienced, some of them getting good, some of them got better once they got those opportunities. You can't tell me that there aren't people within this sect of comedy that, that kind of would have warranted that opportunity at that stage, right? Of course. It, and so I, I, I don't. I don't honestly buy that, is, is, is the honest truth. I don't think that there's not the talent there. There's not the people that could go on and do a very good job uh, on the on these shows. I understand that it, it, they, they believe it's a harder sell because their studio audience tends to lean one way and stuff, and that they believe that their television audience at home tends to lean one way. Well, it does, because everybody I, else has switched off, Jeff, because no one's fucking watching it, Well, which is why they've been cancelled. This is the other point. Was so so. Dara went on to talk about you know he conceded that you know on Brexit it was you know it didn't look good that it was all a, a one way street and stuff. But he also said that he believed you know because he was passionately against Brexit that, that was the right thing. Fair enough. But I do think that that period in around 2016, 2017, a lot of people drifted away from topical comedy shows that never came back. Right? Yeah, um, I think that happened across the board. So. You can take a stand on principle, but what essentially happened was you lost people that to, to talk to or persuade, right? Yeah. And, and and no one ever no one ever said with you know politically diverse comedy that you were going to have like a balanced panel. Mm. Just every once in a while, just have one person who's going, uh, maybe some of the uh, Brexit hysteria is a bit weird, right? Or yeah. you know, gen gently mocking 
uh, the idea of revoking a democratic vote. You know, you know there, there were obvious, there were obvious low hanging fruit, which obviously I tried to take whenever I could. I mean, if anything, when I went and mocked a week, I, I probably took it too far because I did free jokes taking the piss out of people trying to revoke the the. Uh, and it fucking the the kickback I got on that online because they kept all three jokes in the edit, so it looked like I was obsessed, yeah. which I probably was. Did you get rebooked? I, uh, no, I didn't. I mean, look, the truth. I, I'll say this on Mock the Week. I was I was so so. I was all right. Yeah. You know, the audience were a little bit reticent of me, but they certainly gave me a reasonably fair hearing. Uh, but the problem is, is if you say things that people fundamentally disagree with, it is harder for them to laugh. And the audience were very broadly kind of remain and maybe I shouldn't have done as many jokes as that because I started to look like I was you know maybe doing the thing that I would accuse left-wing comics of is is pushing an agenda too much Mm. right so so I I, you know I I didn't get rebooked I I, you know I did okay on it I got a few applause breaks and stuff but I was coming from like mash report where you could sit down and have a good chat about subjects for like 14 minutes Mm. whereas mock the week was you know, you talk about the politics a bit, but essentially they want to get to the running gags about the megabus and all this sort of thing. Mm. You know? So maybe it wasn't as naturally a show for me, certainly not so much as something like the news quiz, which is more newsy. Mm. But the point is as well about this market thing is so, you know, whatever this small niche of comedy we're involved in is, it, you know, it's a niche thing and it is growing, like mm. undeniably it's growing. You know, look at look at Constantine's book, absolutely yeah. smashing it, you know. GB, the comedy on GB News has done well. Your show, like it's it's growing. Meanwhile, if you want to talk about markets, like topical comedy on television is quite clearly contracting. So that's why I find the markets thing a weird thing mm. to highlight, right? Because if you look, they both of them seem to be going very obviously in different directions. Not to say that this is anywhere near the audience that Mock the Week could have got in its pomp. It's not. But they seem to be travelling in different directions, those style of, of comedy. Well, the problem is, Jeff, is that comedy is very left-leaning on the BBC. Uh, the British public, on the whole, you could argue, is actually leans right, which is why the Tories have a majority government. It's why Tories have always been the party who have been in power. This country naturally leans centre-right. So there's a fundamental mismatch there. It's also as well, and let's be honest, the quality on these programmes has gone down. It has come down. When you think about the powerhouses, when you know we, we look at all these programs, why did people tune into Mock the Week? Why did Mock the Week get such huge figures? It's because of Frankie Boyle. Because people were and tuning. Russell Howard. Yeah, they're properly funny. Yeah, yeah. properly funny. McIntyre, but it's because it, a lot of it was to do with Frankie. Because people were tuning in, going, "What's he going to say next?" That's the magic of comedy. <laughs> you know, it's playing with that edge, going right to that edge sometimes going over that edge. That's where mm. the thrill is. That's what we enjoy watching. And when something becomes really bland, it becomes really anodyne, it becomes one world, you know, one point of view, then you can predict everything that's going to be said. And once you do that, there's no magic in it because comedy is about not being able to predict what comes next. It's the surprise. Yeah, yeah, no, there's got to be a surprise element. And I think that, I think that that was... Like one a TV producer once said to me, no one wants to see a room of people agreeing with each other, right? And because what you get is so you get the whole spectrum of people. You might get some very left wing people or very remaining people that do want to hear their opinions the whole time and nothing else. It's a relatively small amount of people. Then you get a lot of left wing and centre type people that want to hear their opinions challenged, and then you get everybody to the right of that. So if you think of that as like a pie chart. 
the amount of people that are comfortable with hearing stuff that's different to what they believe is actually the vast fucking majority. Yeah. You know, so I've been on shows where people have sort of said to me, I'm left wing, but I drifted away from that show because it was just all one opinion. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I think that, and, and some of the cliches that get trotted out about right wing comedy, I still after all this time is like, oh, they can't be on these shows because they'll just mock the disabled or they'll just say what a great idea the Rwanda plan is or they'll just support the government or they'll support the bankers. And even though I did actually show a bit of empathy for bankers okay. earlier, let's disregard that. Um, I, I honestly feel they don't realise the irony is it's like that period when people say all oh, female comics will just talk about their periods. Yeah. You know? They don't realise the similarities in saying that there's a group of people that just cannot be funny. It's impossible for them to be funny. That is why back in 2004... You know, a show like Mock the Week was all men because there was evidently a, a sexist presumption in the industry that women couldn't do it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, here's the thing. This idea that people can't listen to something that they disagree with and enjoy is absolute bollocks. So I, I don't know if I've told you this story. So my girlfriend was uh, going for a bit of a tough time. And when I came to open for you in Winchester, she came to watch the show. My girlfriend hmm. is very left-wing. She works for a left-wing organization, non-profit in America, mm. right? She came to watch... Can we talk about how much you're punching, by the way? Yeah. What do you mean? about that? What do you mean? Well, it's obvious. You, you know, you're proud of it. What are you talking about? We're on a level... Let's put a number on it. Let's put a number. How many divisions are you punching, by the way? What do you in mean? In your own estimation. None, mate. Uh, We're both Premier League. Both Premier... Okay. No, okay. no. I, I'm, I'm, I am second division. She's... She's a lot... I, I do notice you... this, mate. Whenever anyone meets her, their eyes widen and they look at her and they look at me, they look at her and they look at me and they just get this confused face and then they carry on talking. I mean, it's always great though, isn't it, to be told that as a bloke. Yeah, That's it's... almost what you want to be told. Yeah. The other way around, it's, you know, not, not so cool. Yeah. If someone says to a woman, God, you're punching, isn't you? That's <laughs> most... <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I interrupted, mate. I interrupted. So she came to the show in Winchester. Yeah, she and... came to the show in Winchester and like I said, very left-wing, all the rest of it. And she, uh, she loved it. And she came out and she was just like, you know what, I've had been, it was a rough week that really cheered me up. It's exactly what I needed. Jeff's brilliant. And that's exactly what she said, right? But she probably, if you sat down, she wouldn't agree with the vast majority of what you think politically. Hmm. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, but I think that's most people. Yeah, and exactly. I think that that is, why, that is why what's happened is people have now drifted away from mainstream television comedy because they go right i have something i need from comedy and i'm going to get it from podcasts mm. i might get it from a book i might get it from some netflix specials so they've gone out searching because it, what they needed wasn't being being serviced so that that's that's my only issue it's like i've got no issue with with dara at all like i say he's been very supportive to me but i just i think the thing that he said about creating a market ironically i think that's exactly what people on our side of the comedic fence have been doing mm. and the reason that most of us haven't engaged with the most recent debate online is because we're all too busy creating markets <laughs> Okay, we're just going to do one letter. I've just remembered that the next thing I've got to do today is go and have a root canal. So I'm ill, and I'm going to have a fucking root canal. I've never felt so 45. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Waking up with a rattling cough. (laughs) Do you know what what my son said to me this morning? He said, Daddy, you should should eat some of my uh, breakfast boulders because they've got vitamin D and stuff that's good for your bones. I thought, fuck, man. (laughs) How old is he? (laughs) He's six. Mate, smart kid. 
Smart kid. He see. He sees. You know. Yeah. He, he sees. <laughs> he sees what's going on here. Yeah. Manage decline. Um. So on the episode I did while I was away. Uh, if you haven't, if you haven't listened to it, it's another chapter from the audio book. So do go back and have a listen to that. Um. Is I spoke about my dog being a prick, and I just want to be acknowledged. I love my dog. I love both my dogs. I find them fucking hard work on a lot of levels. And and I, I go against this idea of people just cliched saying, "Oh, we don't deserve dogs." Mm. Well, every time I walk both my dogs, the whole time, all they're doing is trying to scavenge for cat shit that they can eat. So I, I, do I deserve that? No, I don't think I do. So this is from Emmy, and she says, Yes, dogs are pricks, Jeff. My border terrier is a notorious snaffler of random bits of food on the ground. We live near loads of takeaways, so a morning walk is often a gauntlet of discarded crap food. Very nice sentence, that, wasn't it? A gauntlet of discard. On Sunday, he grabbed something off the grass and began crunching it. I feel like I already know where this is going. My first thought that it was a chicken bone, which is already rank enough. Uh, so I started wrestling with him to fish it out of his mouth. Once I'd prized his jaw open, I saw not a bone, but a small black stone. Or so I thought. It was only once I'd fangled it out that I realised it was not a stone, but a small, rock-hard cat shit. Too late, I'd grabbed the turb. I mean, the dog, he continued to look joyful, joyful to have found such a tasty morsel. So let's just, let's keep this going. What most people think, UK at gmail.com. Dogs are pricks. They're thieves as well. They're thieves. They just thieve stuff. And look you straight in the eye afterwards. The only reason, I mean, the whole love is predicated on this weird fucking Uncle Tom food dependence. I mean, I'm, I will always have dogs in my life. I'll always love dogs. I'll always treat them well. But let's see them, because that's what love is. Seeing something for what it really is and still loving it. There you go, mate. It's a touching. I, I'm, I prefer cats. Cats are prick, but you know where you are with a cat. Well, is it that maybe that the cats and dogs? So the cats are like the Tories. Yeah. Is that they're pricks, but it's all up front, yeah. so it's priced in. You know what? Whereas dogs are the Labour Party. Yeah. They seem nice, but. But Deep down. You give them a bit of power yeah. and they'll essentially eat cat shit. Yeah. I don't know if... The, okay, well, that's just... <laughs> I don't know if that works, mate. <laughs> that's a sophisticated <laughs> political metaphor uh, to end the show there. Francis Foster, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, where do people need to go to get tickets for your tour? It's, just talk us through It's it. francisfoster.co.uk. I've got 12 dates around the country. Come and see me, francisfoster.co.uk. And, and that's it. So... Come and see me there. Or follow me as well, Francis J. Foster on Instagram, Twitter. I'm now on TikTok, mate. Yeah, I mean, look, if you go and see, what dates are the shows from? Uh, I think they're from the 12th of October onwards. So you've got time to... 12th of October yeah. onwards. You've got time to book. Let's come out. We're going to have a laugh. Cool. Well, listen, uh, go and see Francis. If you're in Edinburgh, come and see me, and I'll be back with another show next week. Perfect. Thanks, Chef. <laughs>